1: to the Unapologetic Podcast with lifestyle, wellness, entertainment, and cultural commentary geared towards bridging the gap between millennials and Gen Xers. Subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes as well as its online presence at www.unapologeticallyus.com.
2: Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon Because geek is universal.
3: Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey. A group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash Nerds of Prey.
1: Hey, this is Phil Lamar. And this is John Stewart. And this is Hermes Conrad. And you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
4: What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Keep it locked right here. This
3: is Theo Rossi, and you're listening to the Black
4: Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Kim
5: Whitley from Next Friday, you know sugar, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds.
2: This is Riley Ritchie, a.k.a. Jacob Anderson, a.k.a. Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Joy Bryant, and I'm a Black Girl Nerd, and
4: you
2: are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, it's Samal Lathan, and you are listening to the Black Girl
5: Nerds Podcast.
4: Hi, I'm Andre Meadows. I have a YouTube channel,
6: Black Nerd Comedy. Have you heard of it? Don't matter, because you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the whole world that I'm doing a promo for right now. Boom!
2: For tuning in to episode 123 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Parisa FitzHenley, Luke James, and Comics Journalism. Three wonderful segments. In our first segment, we invite Parisa FitzHenley. You probably have seen her on the new hit series on NBC called Midnight Texas. She also played the role of Reba Connors on Jessica James and Luke Cage. Well, she stops by to chat with us about her new show. And we talk about everything from her character Fiji to witchcraft to cats to geeking out and her fabulous cameo at our Black Girl Nerds of Color meetup. That segment is hosted by yours truly and co-hosted by Tora. Our second segment features singer-songwriter-actor Luke James. Now, I do have to apologize. Had a mishap with the recording and unfortunately... A large portion of our interview did not get recorded we managed to get the last 20 minutes of this interview with Luke James and we're gonna to try to reschedule another one with him soon but we do have some of the recording available and I wanted to go ahead and air it on this podcast if you check out tonight's episode of Insecure you're gonna see a little cameo by Luke James himself so enjoy that segment In our third segment over at San Diego Comic Con, I was on a panel about comics journalism. And featured on the panel is editor-in-chief of ComicsBeat.com moderator Heidi McDonald, Graham McMillan, also known as a writer for The Hollywood Reporter and Playboy, Alexander Liu of The Beat, and yours truly, Jamie of Black Girl Nerds. And we talk about everything from the pitfalls that comic book journalists faced, some of the challenges, some of the pros, and also, of course, diversity and where we are right now in the conversation regarding it, both on the front side of comics and behind the scenes. So enjoy this fantastic three-segment episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, BGN 123, Parisa Fitzhenley, Luke James, and Comics Journalism. Parisa Fitzhenley is an actress known for her roles in Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and currently on NBC's Midnight Texas. She played the role of Reva Connors on both Marvel Netflix shows, and on Midnight Texas, she plays the role of Fiji Kavanaugh, a mysterious witch with some interesting powers, and we explore her adventures in this mysterious town of Midnight Texas. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am so thrilled to have this guest on our show. This guest made a little cameo over at San Diego Comic Con at the Black Girl Nerds of Color meetup. And we're really excited for her. And this is a long time coming. Parisa Fitzhenley, who you know and probably remember best from Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. She played Reba Connors. And currently you can find her on NBC's Supernatural show called Midnight Texas. Parisa, thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm insanely psyched to be here. (laughs) We are psyched to have you. And happy to also have our lovely co-host, Tora, with me on this interview tonight. Tora, thank you for being Hi. here.
7: Thanks for having me. So excited to talk to you both, actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: woo, 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 Hi.
2: So yeah, um, Parisa, we're huge fans here at Black Girl Nerds of Midnight, Texas, Uh, Shout out to Nerds of Prey, who used the uh, hashtag, came up with the hashtag, Texas Tea, which we use every Monday night um, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, NBC. Uh, So talk to us about your character, Fiji. And do you find that you have a lot in common with her?
0: I'm so happy to talk about Fiji. I have so much in common with her. (laughs) It's one of the things that really (laughs) struck me when I was... um, when I was reading about her, even the the little when I when when actors get auditions, we often get a little very brief one sentence blurb about the character, and I read something like quirky hippie witch, and I was like, wait, hold <laughs> up, this is me. Wait, um, and then as I read the script, I thought I recognized this woman, and, and as soon as I finished the script, I went and started reading the first book of the Midnight Crossroads trilogy by Charlene Harris. And I just kept seeing myself in this woman. And seeing, you know, in the book, which I highly recommend people read, and you, you can read them before, after, or during the show, the, we get to really hear Fiji's inner thoughts about herself and the people around her and the world around her, and I so resonated with so many different thoughts. And it's just been a real pleasure to play her because in some ways there are things that I bring from my life and give to her, and then there's other things I notice in her that I take and bring into my life. That doesn't always happen with a character, but it's just one of these really special relationships that that happens sometimes and I'm really grateful for it
2: there's a lot did that answer of your question? no yeah <laughs> that answers it perfectly and I'm glad you brought up you know recommending that we read the books because there's a lot of supernatural elements mm-hmm. to this show like witchcraft and vampires and this last episode that aired there was a shapeshifter and this is what we would expect from a Charlene harris novel so what kind of research did you do to prep for this role
0: well, number one the books. And and I will say that the what's so delicious about these books is that in addition to all these supernatural things, it's just a it's it's human experience that you're going through with these characters. And as supernatural as they are, they're still human. And and it's a real treat to be able to go along that journey with them in a way that that we can't really do in television. Uh But, yeah, I, to research her, so much of it felt like, she she felt like she came just running into me, but what comes to my mind is the way that, um, actually the way that Manfred gets inhabited by ghosts, I felt Mm. like as I prepared for this audition, I just felt like she was like, hey, (laughs) get in, like, like, let me get inside of you, and, um, and so she she came to me feeling very fully formed, and I had this strong sense that I didn't need to do a lot to mm. be prepared for this audition other than show up. It just it was one of these very rare occurrences. But then, you know, as I had the role, I took whatever opportunities I could to, for example, met, I met with the pagan community in Albuquerque where we were shooting and went to a beautiful uh, uh, it was a spring equinox celebration, um, or spring—I think that's what it was—a spring something celebration that was just so sweet. And seeing different people who identify along the spectrum of pagan life, um, some who yes practice witchcraft, some who maybe you're just around it. Uh, it was it was so sweet, and I was like, oh, I can completely see what what. Um, life could be like for Fiji and Fiji's very much a loner in a sense the way the way that she's positioned herself there you you see in the series there are not a whole bunch of witches around at least at this point so so it was it was also good for me to to pick and choose some of the things that I learned about witches but but also make sure to keep Fiji as Fiji's own in the books you definitely see that although she she teaches people about witchcraft. She doesn't have a coven of her own that she's a part of. She's more a kind of visitor to things, and she picks and chooses. Um, so I I took that approach in a way. What else? I mean, I just if in my own life, I'm such a believer in the use of herbs and oils and and that energy is important and can be. Um, can be used for healing, and, you know, like, these are things I already believe in, so it was very natural also to, to play a character that that believes in them, too. Okay,
7: this That's is to here. <laughs> it was an amazing answer, though. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Thank so, historically, you. we have seen representations of witches and Wiccans. We've seen that their portrayal in the media hasn't always been so favorable, and even less so for black witches and Wiccans. How do you think that your character as Fiji helps to dispel those stigmas?
0: Well, I think part of the way that she can help do that is, is because Fiji's pretty adamant about her belief that science and magic may be the same thing. I'm personally pretty adamant in my belief that the reason that there's been such a an issue around quote-unquote witchcraft is because it's science practiced by women.
5: Mm.
0: It's intuitive science practiced by women very, very often. It's, you know, um, I've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. You know, a couple hundred years ago, it was a woman in the, in the woods picking herbs and and putting them in a cauldron and being called a witch and being you know drowned or burned at a stake and today it's it's called celestial seasoning you know mm. it's it's there are things that we killed people for that we now are like oh yeah that's totally normal oh totally yeah because science backed it up oh peppermint tea that's good for your stomach great you know but if you were if you if you if no one had told you that before and you were a woman and you walked through the woods and you found something that you thought maybe this could help somebody, it wasn't respected. And I think so much of that is because of the gender aspect of things. Um, of course, there—it's such a wide spectrum. When you look at people who pack, practice witchcraft or Wicca, um, it's, you, of, um, of course, like in any group of people, you're going to have complete jerks and you're going to have right. complete angels. And and often the jerks are the ones that get the headlines, but um, but I I think I think the world has enough space for everybody, and and I think that Fiji also believes that, and I hope that people will be able to watch her and see see that example in her and realize this is not necessarily something they need to be afraid of, mind you. Picking up and crushing cars is a whole other issue, but you know, in general, <laughs> I think. I mean, I who has people will see that she's harmless. Yeah, I am. You know, I mean, you have a bad day,
7: right? <laughs> yeah. So, what steps do you take in order to make your scenes with Mister Snuggles flow so effortlessly? <laughs> I, I was just enamored. Oh. I was like, wow. I mean, I talk to my cat, but. On camera, it looks like normal people do.
0: <laughs> Mr. Snuggly is something else. I'll <laughs> tell you this: um, we have such an incredible team at Midnight Texas, and they really—they really make it happen. You know, from the directors to the director director of photography, because we have a different director each each episode. Almost every episode has a different director. Um, you know. They they set things up. They show me where I need to be looking. But a lot of times the cat's actually there. And I'm acting with the cat who may or may not stay in one place. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's challenging. I mean, I, I like to say w- there will probably be um, a, an episode of Feud or, like, you know, that – what is it? They, they make those different um, things about, like – Feuding actors one day in the future there will be one about me and and mr snuggly because mr snuggly is a diva and um you know he's a diva on screen he's a diva off screen and and we're all you know we're we're all second to the cat basically he makes us wait in the cold he makes us wait in the dust we have to do what that cat wants us to do. So I'm glad that it comes across as smooth because it's not actually always smooth <laughs> to do. Um, as you can imagine, cats are like, ha, ha training, you're funny. Um, they, you know, they go where they want to go and we've had some adventures with trying to get that cat to stay in my arms. Um, we had to mash a lot of different kinds of um, wet, food into my sh- my sweater to get him to stay for like a moment um but yeah it's it's, it's fun half the cast are allergic to cats by the way including oh me oh my gosh so it's an really
5: wow
7: <laughs> i <laughs> yeah. cannot wait to live tweet this uh, this season of feud with you versus mr snickles <laughs> <laughs> i cannot <Yeah>.
0: wait <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and if you if you love the cat stuff, you've got to read the books, because he, he's hilarious in the books, and actually, I, I listened to the audiobook and read the the hardcover copy what do you call them hard copy books. Mm-hmm. Um, i I read them both back and forth, depending on what I was doing during the day. so the the voice of Mr. Snuggly in the book sounds a lot like Cartman from South Park, oh my God. which killed me, like, every time. Every oh time. So, um, you know, it's. I think it's a fun thing. I I suggest doing the Kindle-Audible pairing because it's cheaper or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's super fun. And I've actually gone back and listened after shooting the show. So I know what's happening with everybody, and I still thought it was fun to go back to the stuff in the book.
2: Wow sounds like Cartman. That is very interesting. Now I need to pick up that audio book. <laughs> um, Do it. And, and
0: then tell me what you think.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I didn't know that you were allergic to cats. So that's, I mean, that's oh, yeah. very interesting. And obviously that can be challenging for you at times playing against this uh, cat. I thought I might cat. not
0: get the job. What's yeah. that? Well, it, it, I thought I might not get the job because I had to let them know. Listen, I'm losing to cats. I mean, I'm sure we can work something out. But you know, in the in the books, she's she's always holding this cat, right? <laughs> and, and and the cat, the cats themselves, you know, Mister Snuggly is played by uh, um, a few different cats. Um, in the in reality, there is nothing in life that was going to keep that cat in arms. So it it actually worked out really well because. Um, yeah, it's just not the ca- that, it's just not that kind of cat that he <laughs> wants to sit around. And there's a there's a scene that you'll see at some point. I'm trying to say this without giving away spoilers, but just where Speech I'll just say PG's had a really rough day. And it's written that the cat comes and sits in her lap, and then she strokes the cat. And I shot this scene, and it was really rough. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, all right. Yeah, the cat's gonna come over, and that cat just like walked up and then like just ran across my lap while my my arms went up to hold him and just landed in my lap with nothing in them. And I was like, I I really hope they keep that in. <laughs> it was like such, it was so cold. He was like, I'm nope, Aww. and then left. And um, yeah, fun fun with Mister Snuggly. Aww. <laughs>
2: Well, um, you know, a lot he, of fan-
0: He's no dog.
2: What's... He's no dog? Well, yeah, I... he's no dog. I love cats, so Mr. Snuggles is a fan favorite for me. I have two of them. And by the okay. way, a good tip is catnip. Have you tried using that on your clothing to get the cat to be closer to you?
0: I... They also have catnip spray.
2: Sure. Yes, they do.
0: Ooh. I... Well, we have to... We'll have to tell our, um... Our our animal wranglers about that. I know that they do all sorts of different things. Food is the big thing. So in my sweater, at one point was mashed um, anchovy paste, anchovy paste, turkey giblets, tuna Wait. fish, and one other kind of cat food. <laughs> you have to tell us the so scene was, so I
7: can go back and like see if I can tell on your face.
0: You will see it. Okay, so it's it's the it's the first it's the first episode, and it's where where um where the police officer played by the lovely laura cunningham is um is questioning me at my house and i walk outside with this cat in my arms and he jumps out now he's supposed to be in in a basket in that scene but he wouldn't stay in the basket so i said listen give me a claritin we're gonna make this happen (laughs) because it just wasn't happening and you know on a on a tv set time is really of the essence Mm -hmm. and it's also we were also dealing with all it was always very cold and it looks it it looks much it was very very cold a lot of the time so you don't want to do anything for a really long time if you don't have to and and so eventually it was like this what are we going to do what are we going to do And I can't remember who came up with the idea. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was them. It was just like, let's just do this. And so they started putting every wet food that the cat liked into the crook of my elbow where my sweater was. (laughs) And mind you, that's my personal sweater. It just so happened I was wearing it between scenes and the director was like, That's not Fiji's sweater? I want it on her. (laughs) I was like, all right. Um, So that sweater is here, funk-free now. Funk-free. But but so they just mushed all this stuff into the crook of my arm and just kept mushing more to get the cat to kind of at least put his head there and be interested while I walked out. But as you'll see when you walk it over, that lasts for maybe 1.5 seconds. (laughs)
2: wow yeah
0: eventually Catherine is also not interested in treats (laughs) so so yeah
2: they definitely have interesting personalities and you know there's a lot of interesting Mm -hmm. personalities on this show Um, I don't know if you're aware of this but Mm. a lot of us fans that have been live tweeting so far already want to start shipping you and Manfred um, so first of all, what do you think about that? Interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. We've got to
2: think of a portmanteau for the two of you, but that that's what's happening right now when we're live tweeting. But wh- where do you see Fiji romantically on this series?
0: Well, we know from the books and we know from even episode one that Fiji has has the hot for Bolo, if not loves him. You'll you'll see. Um, He's her best friend, but she's very, very into him. And for some reasons that are going to knock your socks off, she can never tell him. So Mm. it's, you know, it's, and you're going to see, so I wish I could tell you, <laughs> I wish I could tell you what's coming in the next few weeks, but <sighs> you'll see some things, you know, Monica oluso our our showrunner, has such a fabulous mind and yeah. is so respectful of Charlene Harris and her work that she's, she, it's like she's able to digest all of what, what was envisioned by Charlene and then, and then share it in a TV-friendly version. It's almost as if it was like, how would I say this? It's like, it's just a slight reimagining rather than being like, I'm taking this over and mm-hmm. doing my own thing. Um, it's, like, it's, it's like, well, it could have also happened this way in a sense. Mm -hmm. So, which is why I think you can easily go back and forth between the books because the characters feel the same. It's just like, oh, you know, this could be an alternate universe. Right. I'm such a fringe fan. So, you know, (laughs) not to spoil anything for anybody who's just starting that, but, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like an alternate universe in a sense. Very, 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 very similar, but there's a few very important differences. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, you know, Fiji Fiji and Bobo have a huge connection and and throughout the season we're gonna see like any friendship that connection be tested. But I could also see I could see Fiji going in different directions. I could say that she's got a big heart mm. and um and it's so interesting this idea of shipping with Manfred because Manfred and Fiji um, you wouldn't necessarily know it from first meeting, but they have a lot in common. That's, and that's what
2: I pick up on. Those two having a lot. I in think common.
0: you'll yeah you'll you'll see more of that as time goes. So, hmm, interesting. Stay tuned.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I I want to thank you for coming to our meetup at Comic Con. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, it oh was, my god, it was so much fun seeing you there, and and also some of our uh, journalists from Black Girl Nerds got a chance to talk to you at the NBC party. Um, so that was great. Yeah. So it, it's a pleasure to have you there, and I know you're you're very much a part of. Did you the,
0: know I literally ran
2: from the NBC? Oh, from the Black Girl Nerds of Color meetup. Or the NBC I literally
0: party. ran to it and I ran from it
2: <laughs> I know you said you were literally. in between yeah, <laughs> events but
0: look I the fact that had, you showed I, up I did not want to miss that for anything and oh. I was like I don't care if I spend more time running and it was like I probably like a 10 minute jog well it was a run both ways like 10 minutes each way I was like it's worth it and Aww. mind you, also some gentlemen behind me thought it was worth it too because my dress rode way up. I was wearing <laughs> oh, sneakers, no. but I had a tight dress on, and and I just I passed some guys who were like, "Are you seeing what I'm seeing?" <laughs> and i feeling you're welcome um i got places (laughs) to be (laughs) like i just kept going (laughs) but um it was it was so worth it i just i felt such a good energy from you all and i feel such a good energy from you on twitter that i just was like Mm -hmm. i i I feel like even if it's literally like a relay and i just you know pass the baton and run back that's it i'm fine so yeah i love you guys well it
2: means it meant a lot to us, and it certainly meant a lot to me for you to be there. And uh, and I know that you're very much a part of the online Blurred community. I see you tweeting with us all the time, and, you know, you live-tweet the show yeah. with us. So do, do you identify yourself as a nerd? And what's the nerdiest thing about you?
0: Yes. 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 I don't know what's the nerdiest thing about me. <laughs> Woo! There is, a, there is a lot to choose from. Um, <laughs> what's the nerdiest thing about me? My God. It depends, like, nerd in what category. <laughs> um, uh, you'd have to probably ask my friends about that, but I, my probably my most favorite thing to read about for fun um, are, is, is our Lord have mercy. I like grammar, but I'm not always good at using it. Um, I really love learning about viruses and bacteria oh. um, and, and epidemiology. Nice. And so I get very excited. Like the thing that I got super psyched about, there were a couple of things that, at Comic-Con that excited me the most, like from a personal level. And that's why I wanted to run to the, um, to the party was because that was for me. I like, that's my crew. And I felt like I need that for me. Um, but also th- the thing I got super psyched about was I was also thinking about today was that I saw somebody dressed up in a, in, a, in as Ebola basically. And I was like, wow. Oh my
5: God. As a cosplay see, costume? Like,
0: can you? That, yes. <laughs> he came up with it. And so he was like, it was like, he looked like a, a, um, a health worker, with blood splatters all over him, but the word Ebola and like a mask on. And, and I was like, can I take a picture with you? And then as soon as I was standing there, I thought, you know, this is not ever gonna get posted because to be honest, you know, Ebola is a, it, it has ravaged lives and it's horrible. Right. But I, on a personal level, me and this guy connected because I was like, I feel you. <laughs> these are cool. <laughs> like they're so cool. They're not cool to people. I just want to be clear about that. Right. But, like, the way that they function, and stuff, like, that's my, oh, God, I love it. I I Like, right now I'm reading a book about, like, immunology as my, that's my bedtime reading. Like, I don't, like, I don't, is that nerdy? I, I, you I know what? Don't, Can I mean, just say
2: that I totally I, empathize with you because even though it's not, like, In the areas of academia and medical journals, I like to look on Wikipedia and just read about different Mm -hmm. viruses and illnesses, and you know, you just go through this downward spiral because it has the links to this, (laughs) this virus, this bacteria, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is fascinating. Um, So yeah, I do that. I read Wikipedia for my uh, nerdy viral uh, info, but yeah, I love it.
7: Love I love it. I do something if like that, but with... I'm mostly panicking. What I'm reading, <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh no. so I have all
0: of these things. Yeah, okay. yeah. I become a hypochondriac
7: like, when after. When do reading. I die? Like that's me.
5: Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: I can't... No, I don't. Thank God that doesn't happen to me. I what I will more have things like when there when when there was the Ebola scare in the U.S. and I was living in New York. I was like, what if I get it? And then I was like, well, if you got to go somewhere, way, have be cool. I mean, it's not cool. It's not cool, but but it's like, I thought, well, then I could kind of, in my mind, at least document each stage of the illness. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I feel like this actually just makes me sound like a freak and not a nerd. No, a nerd no, no. Nerd. <laughs> <But> I'm <laughs> just telling like you.
7: You your body to
2: science. For I, I get you. Yeah. I totally get you.
0: I would totally, I would totally do that. <laughs> uh, I totally donate my, my body to science. But also, like, I, I, it, I'm gonna just confess this: that you know, when I watch Lost and Friends, which I mention all the time because they were two really, uh, extremely important shows for me, and then also Monica wasubrine worked on both of them, so it was like my head exploded when I realized that she was doing the show. Um, but I kind of would refer to the characters on them as my friends. Okay, I've done that. Also, that's also not the, normal. The I on New Girl. that was
2: normal. Okay. Oh, me I'm too. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, I refer to them as my friends, and I and I will often repeat episodes just to have them on in the background as company.
2: Wow. Lisa Turtle was my best friend for years. Years. Really? Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell. Oh yeah, and I would dress I totally up like don't her.
0: Who you're talking about. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like I she was my friend in my head, so I completely get you on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still best I, I friends with girlfriends. Yeah, girlfriends too. Yeah.
7: <gasps> They're oh, my
2: friends.
4: I saw... And
7: I'd be hard okay. for us not to be
0: like, Hey John But like <laughs>
7: that's you know what Joe and I
0: mean. <laughs> I'm like best with them and I saw um Trace I've seen Tracy Ellis Ross a couple of times in person passing by me or sitting by me and like I sat next to her like right like the next table over from her for a good half an hour or something um at a restaurant and she's meeting with somebody and I was with someone I was dating at the time and the whole time I'm just kind of like answering him in one word answers and stuff and you know, just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll take some more salt on this, and girl, is just, like, super internal. And then she got up and left. And then I was like,
5: oh,
0: my God. It was her. Oh, my God. And he's like, why didn't she say something? I would have said something to her. And I was like, because I would have lost it. Lost it. Like, there's certain people I can walk right up to and be like, hey, I really love your work. You look great. But after Girlfriends, I can't. I don't think I can talk. I did. I spoke with. I spoke once with. Um. Oh God, it's her name, Jill. Jill Marie Jones. Um. I think so. Beautiful Tony? ebony woman. Hmm. Tony, Tony Childs. Wait, Tony Childs. Mate, why is her? All the names are escaping me at this point. At any rate, one one of them who wasn't Tracy. um and and i saw her in an audition and and said um i loved you on the show and i miss you um but that was the last of the composure that i had and i used it up on her, and so i can't see any of the other ones or i'm gonna lose it
2: (laughs) yeah really quick i just wanted to know are there any new projects that you're working on
0: right now Yes, I just, I just finished shooting uh, a short film that's part of a larger documentary on the queer contributions to the Harlem Renaissance called Congo Cabaret. And I'm very, very proud of having been involved in that. Um, so I, I play a jazz singer who is, uh, is rough around the edges and you get to see her in, um, in her fullest. In the club.
2: Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, Parisa, so much for coming on our show. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media?
0: Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Parisa f and on Instagram at Parisa No hyphen. And I don't know how to tell you to find me on Snapchat because I don't really get on it that much. <laughs> so join yeah, the club. Find me there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Luke James is a two-time Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter who began his musical career singing background for R&B artist Tyrese. He was later signed directly to J Records by Clive Davis himself, writing songs for musicians such as Chris Brown, Britney Spears, Carrie Hilson, and Justin Bieber. You may have seen him recently, playing R&B singer Johnny Gill in the TV biopic of The New Edition Story on BET, which aired back in February 21st of this year. Although we only got a portion of this segment, it was co-hosted and featured myself, KB, Kayla, Grace, and Joy.
4: I feel like that's good music.
1: Absolutely, definitely can tell that in, in your sound and your music and others. So much kudos to that, and kudos to the only child. I'm an only child too, so I definitely yeah. uh, definitely know uh, that story and that that funness there. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, we know. Um, you've gotten the chance to do Johnny Gill. You've also been in um, Black Nativity. Are there other artists, actors, or um, other you know folks that you would like to collaborate with, whether it be in song or in film?
4: Um, I love to work with uh, Lee Daniels. Uh, I would love to work with oh, Miss Ava. I would love to
1: work
4: with her. Bad, yeah. <laughs> uh, um. um I'd love to just work, create, you know, um, build, create more content, for black people for everyone, you know, just continue to show our, our amazing abilities. You know, I want to be a part of all of that if I can. So nothing
1: like nothing like putting in the hard work. I can appreciate that.
4: Work hard to work harder. That's right. Yeah.
1: So hi, uh, I feel really special because we were talking about a lot of joy. My name is Joy. So, <laughs> yep. okay. Hi. Hi. Um, so we talked a little bit about you playing Johnny Gill um, in a new edition uh, biopic. And then obviously you're planning to release music under kind of the album Joy. Um, is any of Johnny Gill's style after kind of emulating him in new edition story kind of imprinted in a little bit of your music?
4: I would say working with uh, Jam and Lewis and Babyface, kind of just and and being um, diving into that music, you know, like we we kind of we listened to that music every day, all day, you know. We had to we had to put ourselves into the era, you know. We didn't listen to nothing else unless we went bowling. So that I, I was surrounded by. The, the new jack swing vibe and the the, the just the eighties vibe R and B uh, music that like Jam and Lewis were doing, um, so that that ins- that that, had, that that's inspired me as well. Yeah, yes, that's inspired me. So Johnny Gill, yes. Um, also, by doing the movie, it kind of just uh, a lot of people don't didn't know I, I sang, so it kind of opened up a door. Um, kind of an introduction that if I did release music and for those that didn't know I was a singer before acting, um, they're pretty much expecting me to sing and that's really truly what I want to do. I don't want to half-ass. I don't want to not sing. I don't want to dumb down shit. So by doing the movie, that just kind of op- opened up the door for myself and also for others, you know, because... Now you see what people what really gets people going. Not, it wasn't just the, mo- the movie. I mean, the music that everyone knows, but it was the fact that we were really singing that stuff and we sound great, you know. And um, I think people really want that. I, I think in a couple of years' time, you will see, you will see new generations, or well, the kids, who little kids who were watching it, who are probably seven, seven right now, watching that movie or whatnot. The, the, Years down the line, they're gonna to want to do music, and you're gonna you're gonna hear the inspiration from that from that music. So yeah, it's inspired me, and you hear it in the uh, new album.
1: Yeah, so kind of going along those lines, what I love about the title, outside of it being my name, uh, is <laughs> that throughout the press tour for New Edition, you and the other guys were talking a lot about Black Boy Joy. That was kind of your mantra throughout the whole press tour. Yes. So outside of singing and songwriting, what is your favorite way to express black boy joy?
4: Um wow. You know, I, I, I guess I guess I look at I guess we look at what we do um and 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 how we do what we do um and acting and trying to and, and trying to present a positive uh, image. Uh, another side of a black man, not just the, the thuggish and so on and so forth the side that is always promoted and the violent kind or whatnot that's always put out there. Like just show a different, different type of guy who is respectful in a sense, yes, um, and and just trying to make way and, and good guys, you know. And right now, I guess my walk, being expressive with my walk and my music and my acting and 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 just pursuing my own life and dreams and and promoting that everyone else find their own dream and, and and pursue that by any means necessary with love. Um I think that's the way I'm doing it. I think that's the way we all we all are doing it. I would like to do more though, but there comes time for that, you know? Right now it's just work, work, work. Eventually I'll be able to sit down and figure out foundations and stuff like that. I would like to do things I would like to do in New Orleans. Um, Give back to my community in a sense, uh, in a way. Um, Even create programs like for arts, you know, for kids to have an outlet to express themselves. Um, Those are my dreams um, and that that those are goals as well. Um, But right now I can just be me as much as possible and support my brothers around me that are doing great things. And I feel like that's, that's another way of showing black boy joy.
1: This is Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
7: so you've touched on it a little
1: bit, um, but do you have different processes you take yourself through when preparing for an acting role versus um, getting ready to head to the recording studio to record?
4: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess I don't. You know, so I have for for new edition. I I created a uh, a character board. Uh, working with my my acting coach, uh, Richard Lawson, um, we we created a, a character board, which basically basically because you know we don't when shooting stuff. You know, you don't we don't shoot things like. But, you know back to back as as it is in the paper in the script you know it's like sometimes I, it's definitely out of order you know so mm-hmm. in this movie we're playing different we' i had to play 18 18 20s 30s right so, mm-hmm. but you know all three have different mindsets different walks different a different smile different way they answer different way they look at things they sing um how they're around so like when you first, when I first come in with that damn wig on, <laughs> I, with that, with that wig, I look sick. Anyway, when I come in, when I come in with that wig on, you know that's that's young Johnny. That's 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 open Johnny, just excited to be here, Johnny. Uh, you know, just and he's he's truly a fan. Weed is never around. We, Johnny is not around weed. You know, Johnny comes from the church. You know, Johnny. Walks around with a, a briefcase. He wears those boots. He has that Jerry curl, and he sings with his girlfriend. That's what Johnny does, you know. So he's that kind of guy. But then, next time you see Johnny, Johnny's in the, in in the uh, in studio with the with the guys, and the, the demeanor has changed. He's older, you know. Things didn't go quite as uh, well as he wanted in his career, but he's he's still going. He signed to um, MCA he's got a new attitude that he's got to be in this group. You know, it's just different. He's it's different mindsets. So the character board kind of helps me dive into that when when they, you know, when we're not doing it in order so so um, different different things that I use, but most times I do a character board for, for projects just to be on point every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I hope that, I, I answered that.
8: Yeah, no, you did. <laughs>
2: So, we are obviously Black Girl Nerds, and no one geeky, nerdy person is alike. So, we all have our
1: different vices, whether it be comic books or TV or film. What do you geek out over?
4: Oh, shoot. (laughs) What do I geek out over? I really like music. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm. I really, 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 really love music. Um, I can't. I don't know. That, that's just really what I geek out over. That's always been it. I'm sure it was something different when I was younger, before I knew singing was, was what the girls liked. And and you know, <laughs> it, well, you know what? Actually, it was sax. I used to play the saxophone. Well, I play the saxophone now. But I, I was. I was. I used to think I was going to be a jazz player, and that was. I was a. I guess what you would call a jazz geek, um, yeah. And before that, I thought I was gonna be Wolverine or something. So yeah, that's that's how that went.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Can make that crossover Wolverine,
5: I'm
4: saying like that. what? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, make that crossover. I see, I see y'all pu- pushing the storm. They gotta have the They gotta give Storm her own thing, man. That's oh, like, yeah. I mean, there's so many people. There's Thrasher. There's um, you know, Thrasher is is um. Uh, What's his name? This black kid? He he um he was a skateboarder. He um he wore like a helmet and he, he had these like batons, that's what he kicked people's asses with. But like his skateboard he could like shoot up the like he roof hopped with his skateboard. But he was a black kid though. Mm-hmm. And like when I when I was looking at that, I, in my in my neighborhood you was riding a skateboard, that wasn't well, they made you feel like that wasn't cool.
5: Right.
4: If, if right. At the time, it made you feel like that wasn't cool to do, but like I don't know that I always, I always was like, man, I'm, I'm gonna ride a skateboard as soon as I get the hell up out of here.
5: <laughs>
2: that's <laughs> a very Louisiana, Mississippi, like, cause I'm from
1: Mississippi. That's a very Louisiana, Mississippi thing. Certain things are yeah. just not cool to do,
2: and yeah. I was a skateboarder, and that was not cool to do. <laughs>
1: yeah,
4: I'm like, oh my god, it's like, and I was petrified to get on a skateboard and falling in front of anybody, cause you know, they, they, they love the joke and and they laugh the loudest. I mean, it's, it's. Then they make jokes about that's why black people shouldn't be on a skateboard. yada, yep. yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Man, but man, skateboard is everything. It's everything. You're just coasting out there. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was life. This is life now. Yeah. I'm playing Injustice. With my brother. Um, I'm not playing it right now because I promised you guys I give you my undivided attention. <laughs> <engine.
5: laughs>
4: pretty much why I'm, I'm long-winded and um yeah. Uh yeah, I'm here with my brother, my brother Ro. Y'all know Ro James? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. He's here. Well he, he just Ro. <laughs> <I'm sorry.
5: laughs>
4: Ro. They said,
5: what's up? <laughs> well, hello. Hello. Wow. Hello. What's up? How you doing? Wonderful. wonderful. Good. How are you? Great, great,
1: great. Bro, I love you already knew that. just want to let you know that right now. Hey, <laughs> <laughs>
4: appreciate it. I was in the studio with Ro to three, four in the morning while he recorded that. I swear that was in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> my dreams. Oh man, it killed me. You listened to that for mad for mad oh, oh so long. Listen to that forever, forever. Before people even heard it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, nice to meet you guys.
7: Likewise. Likewise.
4: Nice to meet you. Yeah. So yeah, it's my family. We're here chilling. You know, uh, just kicking it, you know, and I'm talking to y'all. Oh yeah, can't, can't beat that. You cannot beat it. You cannot beat it. I I am a fan of you 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 ladies, and uh, I really appreciate what y'all do. And y'all keep me informed because I don't really look at a lot of stuff. So, but I look at y'all. So, <laughs> okay. thank you. Thank you,
2: Luke. We really appreciate talking to you and. For our listeners out there that want to learn more about your work, where can they find you on the interwebs and give us your social media shout-outs?
4: Well, um, you know, there's a thing called Google. You just type in Luke. James. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> like, it. That's like it. everything is gonna pop up, even stuff I didn't even know I had out there is gonna pop up. Um Wolf James, that's me, Wolf James on Instagram. Um mm-hmm. Who is Luke James on Twitter? Uh, anything else? Yeah, I don't have, I don't know, but hey, if it's if it's telling you where my show is and I'm there actually, then it's good. That's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. Cool. All I got. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us. This is
2: fantastic. Uh-oh.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope I was a long winded.
2: Not
1: at <laughs> all. Not at all. It was perfect.
2: Fantastic.
5: Thank you,
4: Luke. I really appreciate it. No, I really appreciate it. We were playing uh, uh, DM Tag for a minute, and uh, here we are. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks Thanks for bringing some joy to Black Girl
5: Nerds.
1: Over at
2: San Diego Comic Con, this annual panel about comics journalism talks about the how-tos of how to break in, how to act professionally, and how to make money against all odds. In this particular segment, I talk about my work with Black Girl Nerds and my other podcast called Misty Night's Uninformed Afro. In this panel features Alexander Liu of Comics Beat, Graham McMillan of the Hollywood Reporter, and Heidi McDonald of Comics Beat, editor-in-chief and moderator.
8: So, I am Heidi McConnell, the editor-in-chief of ComicsBeat at ComicsBeat.com. I also work for publishers weekly. I write for various rankings. But the beat in various forms, but pretty much only as the beat, actually. Maybe different URLs, has been around since July 4th, 2004. So, more than 13 years. Is that 13 years? Yes. <coughs> Seems like. Time is about circle. <laughs> so, <coughs> and Graham was around <coughs> when I was doing it. But when so I'm on choked up, Alex wants to introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my name is Alex, I'm the
6: managing editor of the Common Speed. Uh, I am essentially a baby who graduated from college like two years ago. So I'm saying that you should trust me, but you shouldn't really trust me.
3: We uh, haven't told that we should totally trust you. I did I know everyone has to <laughs> be nervous about
8: yeah. Graham.
3: Um, my name is Graham McMillan. I write for The Hollywood Reporter and Wired and Playboy. And before I've written for every single comic site at
8: That's right. You've never, um, And Jamie.
2: My name is Jamie Broadnax. I'm the managing editor and founder of BlackholeNerds.com, <laughs> And it's the shirt, Blackville Nerds. <laughs> um, and I talk about comics, gaming, uh, pop culture, TV film type stuff. I also have a weekly podcast. Um,
5: and I have a
8: book coming out next year by the same name, Black Authors. Yeah. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, so Graham and I are veterans of the, uh, you know, the blogging wars. We both had blogs. You had the Orange Blogger Blog with the orange thing. I have blogs, but yeah. I was
3: thinking about this morning. Can you imagine yeah, anyone yeah. getting started as a journalist with a blogspot thing? That, that's unthinkable. Now.
8: I know. But, but um, I, I've, always, I've actually had this conversation with a few people, um, and actually, a lot of people in comics got their start as journalists, writing about comics, reviewers, you know, Paul Levitz, uh, the former publisher and president of uh, DC Comics, start, his start at 13, he was publishing a comics fanzine. Um, Gary Groff and Kim Thompson uh, were teenage, they put on conventions, which actually is something Jamie's also involved in. And uh, put out the comics journal, and now they're on stuff. In Europe, I was fascinated to find out that both uh, Gallimard publishing and Delcourt publishing, which are two of the biggest pu- publishers, um, Jacques Gallimard, the owner of, of Gallimard, and he uh, Delcourt, the owner of Delcourt, they both got their start as putting out fanzines uh, back. In Alan, the, Moore uh, start Alan Moore got his start putting out fanzines. You know, Alex Segura was supposed to be with us here. He got. Um, you know, he's a newspaper journalist. Um, he was also a blogger during the great days. And, you know, now he's a VP at Archie Comics and does all sorts of stuff there. So, obviously, it is a good career path, uh, in some ways, if you can just
5: survive enough. Why would you have done wrong then? Yeah, <laughs> I know.
8: I really feel like I've been doing the same thing for, 13 years without really any progression or progress. No, I mean, that's not true. I I think when I was a kid, uh, somewhere in my mind, I said, well, this is my dream job. And I said, well, I'd like to be on a mass means of communication that can meet anyone in the world, and I can write about whatever I want every morning when I wake up. And so... Good job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, the trick is just finding some people to read it. But um, let's talk. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know our origins. That's always good. And uh, you know Jamie, I mean, I'm so thrilled that you could be on this panel uh, because I tried to have you last year and there was a scheduling conflict. But um, <clears throat> I'm just so admiring of how you have taken you know, your brand, but uh, but I mean, it's such a great site. So anyway, how did you do it? Where do you come from? Why, why, why? Yeah. And it's <laughs> crazy to think that it is a brand now
2: because really <laughs> it just started off as a blog um, and that was initiated by a Google search that I did back in February 1st of 2012. Um, I just put in the search term black girl nerds just to see if there's any kind of content on the web that spoke to women like me, and nothing came up. Um, Which was just very surprising to me. Um, I even Googled on Google Images black girl nerds and I saw images of white women with glasses with black frames coming up. (laughs) So I'm like, am I a unicorn? Am I like (laughs) some mythical creature? Um, So yeah, I decided that night I had some blogging experience. I ran a film blog for many years. And at that point, I just decided to go ahead and put up Black Girl Nerds. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, that was pretty genius SEO-wise, because if <laughs> you type that in, site comes right back up. Um, but, yeah, it evolved into this online community, because at first it was just about my personal rants and raves about just all things in geek culture, And uh, then I had women that were perused the site and was like, hey, you know, I'm an author, Uh, I would love to write and contribute for your site. So I had, like,
5: published authors reaching out to
2: me because they never found a space like this that really spoke to them. Um, And, yeah, now it's no longer about, you know, my personal rants and rants, it's about... All of these different women's perspectives, and it's sort of evolved into this entertainment um, website where we go to places like this, and you know we get to cover really cool events, either TV shows or movie properties, or um, just other panels that speak to uh, women of color in comics and women of color uh, in this in this uh, subculture. So I've been
8: doing that now for the last five years. Wonderful. That's great. Graham?
3: My story is you nowhere near as interesting and <laughs> inspiring. <laughs> I was, let's see, how far back do you want to go for the origin?
8: Well, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about yeah, it,
5: uh, yeah. way back. Way. Yeah, let way back. I was bored in way. my
3: day job. I had come to America to get married and I'd be working in a call centre and I was very bored and the comics internet was just starting because this was what, 2002?
5: Yeah, the olden days, yeah.
3: Um, And so <laughs> I started as I got fanboy rampage because I thought lots of people on message boards were saying dumb things and I could make fun of them. And that worked. And for two years, that worked. Hard. You wrote, I week fun by Rampage when I went on vacation mm, once. That's right, I did, yeah. Um, and people came because, honestly, it was so early, there was nowhere else to go. And I really did luck out in being around at the
8: start. But I, uh, well, I want to hear how you got from there to, to Hollywood Reporter. Now, are you- and Because
3: I kept saying yes in the short version. Yeah. Uh, I was in San Francisco. Uh Annalee Ewitz was a writer for the local SF Weekly at the time. She reached out because she was also nerdy and snarky and it was literally a, "I think you're funny, I think you're funny too, why don't we meet up type thing. And she was launching Iron 9 for Comedian at the time. And so I got into that, the And then within two years of government media, I went to Time for two years. And basically, oh, things just kept happening. Yeah, Time had a blog.
8: Time had a geeky
3: blog. Time had a blog called Techland, which nobody remembers anymore. Techland, before it launched, was actually called Nerd World. And then Time Magazine decided Nerd World would never be a name for a website. <laughs> and really, she kept it, because that... That was available back then. That would have been a thing. Uh, but yeah, people kept asking me to do things, and they kept saying yes, which is how I eventually ended up in Hollywood. No, are you an actual
8: employee of the Hollywood Reporter? Nope. No, I still
3: right for a while. Right, so you're a freelance, answer. you're yeah. freelance. Anyone who says, do you want to do something interesting, I will
8: inevitably say yes. That's great. Well, it just started with a blog. Um, Alex. Why? You had your whole world in front of you. <laughs> Why? Why make this
3: terrible decision? This is an
8: intervention.
6: Yeah, I feel like like every good story is like a dark night of the soul, right? Like, um, I had the when I was back in college, uh, summer of like junior year, I was interning for Paper Cuts, which is graphic novel publishing company. And I really had fun there. Uh, But like, I was having like some rough stuff going on, personally. I was wondering like, oh god, I'm going to graduate here, I'm going to move my life. And so I was a New York Comaton and I was sitting on these stairs. And like I was just thinking to myself, wow, in a year from now, I'm gonna be homeless in New York City. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a comics journalism panel, like this one. And I went over there and I saw Heidi, I saw Annie Shannon an at Cool, and a couple other folks. Um, and at the end of it, I was like, I'm an English major writing a thesis about Grant Morrison. Beneficial devices. I can totally write news. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up and talked to Heidi and um, you know, like thought that was a good idea somehow. <laughs> um, and ever since then, you know, I've uh, I've had a lot of fun with it. I think it's I think it's really interesting, right, to like be a part of this community because I didn't ever realize how open it would be, you know. Like I always thought it was this very sort of like insular island sort of thing. But like you took me out right away.
8: Well, actually, I I remember I said, email me afterwards, um, and then I lost your email for, I think it was six months. Six months, yeah. But I have never forgotten that, because I don't know anyone inspiring in this room, but if you come up to me after the panel and say, I want to write for the beat, uh, I'll tell you, email me. And I won't forget you, but it might be six months, okay? So because I, I remember asking me, I was like, oh, I got to email that guy, I don't know, and
6: then, and then, I, and then I did, and then, then you know. Like, I mean, in a way, it
8: was kind of helpful, because I ended up yeah, writing sites.
6: Yeah. Like, well, you did, you worked, because there were other, others, uh was it, comics?
8: Oh, uh, comics. Oh, uh, uh, okay. so, okay. um, yeah, and now, I mean, written for the MNT. I mean, other sites as well, so, um, uh, while keeping it, you have a good job, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. So, uh, but my my own origin was, uh, was back to the 80s. So, um, but uh, well, there was only print then. There was no internet. So I started writing. for, I always wanted to be a writer, and I started writing. But I loved comics, and I wanted to write. I was very inspired by the comics journal, uh, which was this kind of erudite and angry, like uh, the first kind of "Let's rip it open." Uh, let's rip this, let's just tear this thing down and build it up again, uh, kind of attitude. So I wrote some reviews <laughs> for them, uh, and then I wrote for some other print fanzines at the time, like the Comics spires Die and Amazing Heroes. A lot of people remember that. And then I got into the comics industry. I mean, I did go work for Disney. I edited comics for them. Then I worked with DC. I edited comics for them. And then that ended, and I was like, let me return to my roots as a journalist. And then the internet was there, so my childhood dream came <laughs> come true. So um, so, there it, so there was that. Now, I, I guess, you know, people... And last year we had this panel. I'd like I say, I always have different people on it, except for Graham, who will always fill in. But um, and I think one question that has always come up with the panel is do you want to be a creator? You know, do you want to make comics? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, the answer is simple. Uh, ben there done that. So, you know, I, I, I'm... This is not a path for me, but as I said at the top, it, it can be a path to, to, you know, creating other things. Um, so, I mean, what are some at Does anyone else here aspire to make comics, or...? Um, I
2: don't consider myself a comics writer or someone that aspires to it, but um, what I've done is taken some of my experience in podcasting and did that by creating a superheroine podcast called Misty Night's Uninformed Afro. and it's about black superheroines and that started because uh, my co-host Stephanie Williams you've got to follow her on Twitter she's got the best Twitter account in the world Um, Steph underscore I underscore Will um, she put out this tweet saying where are all the black superheroines and just like this influx of like dude bros came into her mentions and you know kind of Geek explaining her about all of these superheroines and kind of naming the obvious ones and there wasn't that many and it just made me think how many people out there really know um, about these black superheroines and how much of these black superheroines' origin stories and their narratives do they know about Um, so I decided to do this podcast and um, I feel really good about it because for the first time black women are talking about these characters that were owned and created essentially by white guys, um, but we're sort of putting our own narrative into their stories, and bringing a little bit of nuance and understanding more perspective about these characters that hasn't really been discussed before. So one of the really cool things about our, our episodes is we sort of have this motif around hair, So the first episode is about Storm, right? I mean, when you think of a black superheroine, that's the first one you think of automatically, Aurora Monroe. And the first episode was called Storm Silk
5: Press. (laughs) So
2: it's it's all around, and I give Stephanie full credit for this, but it's all sort of um, around the theme of hair. Um, And we're now in season two, we're recording, we just did um, an episode on Zula Hendrix from Aliens Defiance. Uh, which, by the way, you should check it out. It's a 12 series. It's fantastic based off of the Aliens franchise. Um, but it was just really great to learn more about these characters, more than just, you know, the way they look on a page, or the way they see you see them as, like, a cutout, you know, on a movie poster somewhere. Because um, some of us only know about Storm either from the cartoons, the X-Men animated series, or maybe a few runs of X-Men, um, or, unfortunately, from the movies. <laughs> um, but we, we really dive into uh, each of these women's stories and um, kind of give our own perspectives of how we think their characters should play out and what we think of how these women should think. So I guess, in a way, that's sort of my own creative art in the comics field is uh, doing that podcast. Yeah.
8: Well, you know, I don't know. You might get sucked in. I, I <laughs> get some there. People have
1: asked
2: me, do you want to write comics?
8: I, I don't know. I, I would love to, but I don't know
2: if I'd be good at it.
8: But I mean, yeah, if it's not... What, I mean, you do a lot of things, so, you know, it's not <laughs> necessary that you have to do more things. How about you, Graham? Let's get the secret out there. Let's lay it on the table. You said that like I
3: have a secret. I don't want to be a uh, I Like many people who read comics, I think, I went through the childhood you know, childhood and I'm like, I want to grow up and become a comic artist. And then I went to art school, and then I realized that was a very bad idea. Um, I did art school, I did teaching in art school for three years, and then I never wanted to draw ever, ever, ever again. But that was where I discovered I liked writing. Uh, And so that's where I came from. I don't want to draw comics, too. I also don't want to write comics. Uh, Because I somewhere along the way, I got to know lots of comic writers, and I know what they go through. And I could not do it. I I just know that I did not have those skills.
5: Yeah.
8: Especially now. Like, you have to be... You
3: have to do everything. everything
8: Every two weeks. Yeah. And I mean... But, uh... Well, uh, there's... I... So when I was doing all my stuff, it's it's amazing to hear Jamie's story, because when I was doing my stuff, you know, like, the beat has always been read by a lot of people in the entertainment industry and, you know, different levels and... Um, you know, when I first started doing it, there, I got so much attention for doing it, and, you know, I was always talking to other people about starting a new site, and they would pay me lots of money and this awesome internet thing, and, uh, you know, sadly, for my bank account, it never worked out, but happily for my, you know, heartache, it, it you know, absolutely do right decision. You your content? I do, I, I do. think
3: of someone who has 15 years on the internet and doesn't own content? Well, and that's a lot of it always, because of that.
8: always yeah. own your own stuff. But they would specifically say, I was like, I want to do a site like, you know, nerd woman or nerd queen. I'm like, you know, nerd and geek are really negative words for advertisers. We just don't want to be associated with that at all. And, you know, I was like, I try, I started trying to start a site that had geek in there. I was like, you know what, we just, our ad team just doesn't want to be associated with that. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, that was like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> And, like, but, now it's, like, how many ways can you say the word nerd? Or How many, many ways can you... Uh, there's three different businesses called Geek Week, I think, or Geek Chic. <laughs> I mean, there's like, tons of different yeah. things. And, um, you know, how the worm has turned. Um, so, but anyway, Alex, how about you?
6: Do I want to make comments? That's yeah. a question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, when I first got into this, you know, like, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Because, like, I guess if you're being generous, you call me like a polyglot, because I do like a lot of different artistic things, but like I'm more like a militant, like I don't, I'm not really good at anything. Um, I write, I draw, I edit, I uh, do graphics and I, yada yada yada. But like, I think what I've realized over the years is that like what I really like to do in the end is like, like to, like, I love comments. Like I like, I wanna push good content to people. Like that's what I see myself as, like whether or not that means becoming an editor, whether or not that means going into marketing, or whether or not that means saying here, journalism, like, As long as I can get good content to people, like, I would like to do that, you know? And I have been, like, considering, like, going jumping into the industry, and that's been, like, a whole thing, but that's, like, a long-term play, right? Like, for now, I really like doing this stuff, like, writing articles every week, reviewing comics, uh, talking about what's coming up, interviewing creators, like, that's a
8: dream come true for me. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
8: Well, it is. It's it's a lot of fun, uh, definitely. And uh, you certainly get tested here at Comic-Con. But let's talk—you know, this question comes up all the time, though. What um, I do these panels, and uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with going from writing about stuff to becoming a professional in that field. You know, obviously I did it myself. So, um, but um, I, and you know, because all I, you know, probably I have actually the most experience in the actual comics editor here on this panel. But, but uh, what do you? I mean. Do you think there are pitfalls for that? I mean, do you see people getting into maybe writing about stuff who really have their goal to be on, you know, to be making comics or to be making stuff, and maybe there's, there's a problem there? Uh, I mean, are there pitfalls? I mean, I think it's certainly like an elegant
6: balance to sort of strike, right? Because, um, I mean, even if you're not planning on, like, getting into the industry, you have to maintain these relationships with people publishing and stuff like that. Like, and if you say the wrong thing, who knows what might happen? You know? <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean. You've been in this industry a lot longer than I have, and you've seen, like, relationships come and go, rise and fall, like, what, how has
8: it been like for you? Uh, well, I mean, I think I was always, you know, I, I, my first job actually in the comics industry was at Disney, and I was working for Disney Comics. I was Marvel Wilkins' assistant, and, um, this is, like, 91. So, uh, you know, everybody liked my writing. I mean, it was easy, I'll be honest, it was, very, very easy for me to get attention and stand out because, A, I was one of only, like, five women who wrote about stuff, um, mm-hmm. which is mind-boggling also. Uh, so that I got a lot of attention for. And, you know, I think mean, You were also was...
3: curious. You, you, I, I, you I... were not afraid to speak of your opinion out there. That, well, that, I
8: wasn't? Oh, you didn't seem to.
3: I definitely <laughs> remember that from, like, way by the way. Even I... before the game.
8: Yeah, I guess that's right. I don't even see it that way. I guess I've never been afraid of speaking my mind, though, I will say. Um, You know what? I I tell the story sometimes, but how I got the job at Disney was you had to pass an editorial test. And uh, so uh, Mark gave me a Rescue Rangers story uh, outline to read, because we did Disney Adventure Comics. We did Disney Afternoon, Rescue Rangers, Talespin, DuckTales, all that great stuff. (laughs) And, <laughs> yeah, right, I know, and, uh, and, um, which are coming back, which is actually kind of cool. Yeah. So so there's the Rescue Rangers uh, pot, and he says, you know, tell me what you think of this story. And so I went home and I read it. I was like, well, this story is shit. And um, I know I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, I don't you know, Anyway, a story is very poor, very poor. And so I wrote a critique, and I said, I don't like this story. There's no development, and, you know, like, Dale, uh, you know, Gadget wouldn't do that. Something like that, and so then Mark did hire me later on. He said, "You know, you were the only person who didn't who criticized the story. Everyone else said it was a great story." So, um, you know, that's really how I got the job is by not being afraid to criticize things, mm-hmm. so, um, or at least you know trying to analyze things. But uh, I don't know. I think I think I personally see a lot of cheerleaders out there sometimes, right? And and, and sometimes I do think. That they're
3: being chillier. I think so. you can tell the people who want to work in the industry. Because mm-hmm. I think you can see people who really try and cultivate relationships with publishers and never say anything negative at all. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes things are just bad. And you know they're bad. And so you know that even the people making it are kind of like, I really didn't do the paycheck. Please don't judge me too harsh. I mean, you see someone going, this is the greatest comic that's ever been published, you guys. You get... Or I get suspicious. I think yeah. You're, you're just trying to be nice now. You're just trying to get their attention and go, me yeah, you your stuff.
8: Yeah, yeah. Or get that, you know, quote. So. Okay, I do
3: exclusive don't... for later in the I
8: mean, Jamie, you have a ton of writers, and some of them are so amazing, actually. Like, I mean, is that ever a problem for you, do you think? Or...
5: No, I mean, I think
2: what we try to do is just share honest perspectives of what we think is right and what we think is not right with comics. And um, we try to be as honest with our opinions as we can. Um, but I think for the industry, when I see tweets from comic book artists and writers, and uh, they get super angry about the criticisms that we You know, kind of put their feet to the fire on. Um, I'm not going to say any names, but
5: it was a re-recover that
2: happened. (laughs) The artist wasn't happy about it, Um, but it's important that, especially if it's a depiction of a 15 year old black girl, and black women have concerns of this character being hypersexualized, that you listen to what these women are saying and not get to your feelings about it. Um, So. That's what we try to do is just, you know, pay attention to what we're saying, like we're reading these books too. You know, for some of these artists and writers, they think that there was a time where only a specific demographic of people were paying attention, and that's definitely not the case. Um, So I know I'm kind of meandering off from uh, what you're, you're yeah, talking I mean, about? That's
8: okay. But, this is a freewheeling panel. But no, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, that—that's just what's really important in our platform
2: is that you know we talk about how important it is to see ourselves in this art. Right.
3: So, oh, oh go ahead, Greg. I was going to say something that not only comics but also movies and other industries are really bad at is recognizing the difference between criticism to be mean and constructive criticism and there comes a point where you should just shut up and listen yeah. because mm-hmm. the people you're trying to create the work for are saying i know you're trying to do the right thing but this is problematic right i've had at outlets that i don't work for so i feel like I can say this but i'm not going to say which company it was i've had stories killed because company, the, the outlets want to maintain good relationships with mm-hmm. companies and they're not even bad stories it's stories that might say like this you know this particular comic was a problem but they're not doing this but even though this was a problem yeah we'll get well, something out well there. i
8: know there was a story on the beat today where somebody wrote something that he wasn't to. i don't know if you saw that any of our little you know messaging system
5: like you know he went
8: to some preview and quoted someone and they're like oh you weren't supposed to quote that and i'm like well all right you know uh, I, I haven't actually seen i haven't had time I just wanted to see what the situation is you know i would actually say for for, for your site, Jamie, um, I mean, I, I would say it's the opposite. I mean, I would hope that more people pay attention to the voices on your site mm-hmm. and that, you know, it does become a launching pad for people to get into the industry because we really absolutely need to have, you know, more women of color involved in comics. Because, yeah. I mean, to think that even five years ago, if you Googled black girl nerds, nothing came up. is mm-hmm. mind-boggling. It's crazy, and, and that's why I,
2: in addition to, obviously,
8: Writing reviews about the big two,
2: we really do focus on those independent comic book creators. Um, Regine Sawyer, a good friend of mine, she's the owner of Women Comics Collective, and they have a booth, if you wanna check that out, it's 900, um, H09, I think. Um, but they, it's a team of black women and women of color that are artists, writers, editors, um, doing their own comics. Regine owns her own comic book company, so, it's important for us to highlight those women too and those artists that are putting out their own books and not uh, subscribing to, I guess, what the big two thinks is supposed to be like the status quo of what comics are supposed to be about, white male superheroes, but um, showing all different kinds of superheroines and all different kinds of backgrounds. And and we've interviewed um, so many people on the website and on the podcast that are great creators. And it's it's really important, and, and we've also interviewed creators that do work for the big two, but are creators of color, like Ta-Nehisi Coats. Um, so it's it's really great to have a platform where I also, as a journalist, get to learn from so many of these folks.
8: Yeah, that's fantastic. You no, know, if anybody out there has any questions, also just you know throw up your arm. So, we're, like I said, it's a pretty pretty free willing uh, pretty free willing. Uh, you know, uh, Graham, what? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah I, um, hi. Uh, hi Jamie. <laughs> um,
2: I, um, I was just wondering when like, you're talking about um, being critical and I, I run a blog and you don't really see so much a concept of uh, TV and movies and stuff but talking about critical fandom and like digging deep into the themes and what those are trying to say. Um, do you see pushback in like even settings like something like Comic Con where you know, they really need to have the big two coming, they need to have these big studios coming, and so maybe they don't want to give a platform for you to be open and honest completely with your critiques, and how do you kind of navigate that access and and staying true to, um, you
8: know? Well, that's an ongoing issue, you know? Yeah, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you want to be, you know, you want to be fair. You know, maybe that, I don't, look, you know, I don't know what happened this month, you know, with the story. Like, I haven't had a chance to look. I'm just saying, now this is an issue that I need to go look into and make sure that my guy, you know, I'm going to back up my guy, but I have to make sure that, you know, that's proper because you can really screw up a lot of things, and I certainly have screwed up many things in my life, too. So, you know, I think it is... You know, it's funny you talk about coming into the you know mentions now on Twitter and all that. You know, when I was a little kid, there was uh, and I wrote really these snarky reviews that Graham remembers and I don't uh, you know, I'd be at a con and, and you know, people would come up to me and say, you know uh, in fact, I'll name names. It was like I was very critical of the X-Men because that's my favorite comic and then it just went down the tubes that I wrote, you know, oh, first time I was lost it. And like, he was really nasty to me at a con, you know. He's like I didn't like what you wrote and and of course, I was crushed inside. But then I was like, I still didn't like it. <laughs> it <still doesn't laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was a learning experience. As you know, then years pass, and now I'm on a panel, and we're. You know, now we're. It's fine, I and mean, it's so all what it's just like. I mean, so it's. It's. Oh, I say this on every panel every year we do this panel and every, every time I always say this it's like if you write writing, you must never write something you wouldn't say to a person's face and that goes both ways that means like if you want to be buddies with this person you write something that you wouldn't say to her face then don't do that and it also means like if you're going to be honest about it then don't seek out that, you know, that person, you know, nice. it's like, just be, be prepared, you got to be prepared, this, everyone can see it, you know,
5: so, I'm sorry about that. yeah,
3: my first Comic-Con for night I was doing an interview with an editor-in-chief of a comic company, but I won't want to name, but he's not editor-in-chief anymore, um, and I've been cr- critical of the company, and um, The first 20 minutes of the interview was him shouting at me and telling me that I was a terrible human being for daring to criticize his company. And then as soon as the recorder went on, he was the sweetest, most polite guy. I think
8: I can guess who that was.
3: And then as soon as the table recorder went off, he was back to the me. And I really had a conflict about it. Do I run the bit where he's nice? Or do I actually say he shouted at me for 20 minutes and told me I was garbage? And in that case, my editors made the decision for me because I wrote a piece and things were taken out. And what I've found since then is that having an outlet where they will have a point of view and be willing to support you is really valuable. So if, if you say, if you genuinely believe that something is irresponsible or immoral or just plain bad, and you can make the case, and they will back you up on it, it's wonderful. As opposed to them saying, well, we have advertising to think about. Yeah. And we really don't want to get into that.
8: Yeah. No, so, I mean, it's, it's really just a juggling act. I mean, there's, I, I think it's just, I, I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I come definitely from well, like a little older background where I'm more like, you know, you come at me, I'll just, you know, pop you with my ring. So, um, and you know, which I'm afforded to be because I'm more privileged, you know, and so I recognize that. But um, you got to just be ethical, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And it, it's a juggling act. So I have a question based on that for from here. Yeah. Do you feel a
3: responsibility as a journalist to stand up for things like that? If there are people making bad work or, you know, doing irresponsible portrayals of people? Do you feel a responsibility to call it out? Um, Because we have a voice.
2: Yeah, I mean, if there's something that's not right, that doesn't stick with our community, then we call it out on social media. Um, We write editorials about it. I think it's important to, again, hold people's feet to the fire because people do pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with that whole image backlash, with that terrible cover. Um, you know, we wrote an article, one of my writers, who's a black queer woman, woman felt like she didn't feel safe reading, you know, these image books. So um, it's important because there's a contingent of folks out there that um, feel like their voices aren't heard and feel like no one's listening to them, and until they read that article, until they hear that podcast episode, And they feel like there's someone out there that's finally, you know, speaking to them and telling their story. So, yeah, I definitely think it's important. Yeah. I
6: think it's interesting to talk about because we had discussions about this cover in particular, and yeah. we I don't. We ended up not writing about it because. Well,
8: I started a whole big long thing because I like to do the coldest takes ever. So <laughs> I might. I will probably still put something out about it, but. But, like, but we didn't do. Just, we didn't we like, do. A, we did not do a hot take on it.
6: Um, we did that because we didn't think that that would that cover would get as much play as long as like fewer people talked about it.
8: I think that was our initial thought, but I mean, I think then for me the cover became. Uh, I, I mean, uh, where was it? Actually, Mary Sue had really the best, the first really great piece, and I, I the, the site, the, the piece that you guys ran was also so good. I, I, you know, but these two really pointed out that not speaking up, uh, I later felt, wasn't the right thing to do because I just don't think, like anyone who can understand the difference between, why don't you not do this? Like, oh, by the way. You know, did you know that uh, people of color are killed and sexually mutilated? I mean, jeez, isn't that awesome? That's, wow, did not know that. Like, of course they do. So, like, what? who
5: are you telling this to? Right. And it wasn't a very good cover. That's the thing. Yeah, it wasn't
6: a very good cover. It's so in your face about it, too. I mean, like, we have to polybag, like, certain other covers. Where we don't polybag this. Like, this is just out there for you to, like, walk into the shop and see.
8: Yeah, you know, I, I will say... To switch it around the other way, though, I will say that sometimes, having been in the cut industry and having seen the sausage made, I do feel like I sympathize sometimes. Not on that cover, because that, I don't, I don't get that. I, I mean, I do get it, because I did a book with Howard Chicken. Mm. I did a book called Angel and the Ape with Howard Chicken. And, you know, I know Howard very well, so I actually do know <laughs> how that cover came from. But maybe not to say here, but. Uh, There was another cover that came out, and Women Write About Comics, which is another awesome, wonderful, IZO-nominated site, they did a whole roundtable, and it wasn't because, you know, it wasn't like the famous Ree Williams one, it was like one that didn't get as much attention, and when I looked at it, it was obvious that the artist had five minutes to draw it, and it was just a really bad cover, and his art wasn't very good. And then, you know, the roundtable spent like, whole round table talking about what the cover meant and this and that, which was germane, but it was also like the bigger issue was why did this guy have 10 minutes to draw a really bad offensive cover, you know? I mean, I think if he'd had 20 minutes, it would have been a better cover, but, so I think, and that wasn't even mentioned at all. It wasn't mentioned at all like, oh, this is so rough, you know, why did that happen? So, I think sometimes those issues come up, but, um, you know, so maybe having some of those issues <coughs> are good, but, but I, I think it's more that there's just people don't listen. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean that's, that's really it. I don't I don't know. That's the
6: thing, right? I guess like because we live in such a divided time, because like people get offended when you make one and objective criticism of their work. you know mm-hmm. like How do you think that we can criticize people in a way that they don't feel like they're actively being attacked, but they do feel compelled to change things?
3: Well, some people can. Some people will hear any criticism as, why are you trying to censor me? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no matter what. The criticism can be, I love your work, I love your comic, maybe this shouldn't be the cover. Especially
2: if they're like older, entitled people that have never had... There's an
3: entire generation of people that you could say anything. Mm -hmm. Literally, I've loved everything you've done, but maybe not this. And they'll hear it as, why are you hating me? Right. You know, it's insane.
2: I mean, I guess to answer your question, probably offering, you know, answers to those criticisms. Like, this is what you should do instead of, instead of just making it about, well, this is just wrong. Um, Then maybe people won't take it. As offensively um, but I mean there's no way to get around it people are gonna be in their feelings about it no matter what
5: yeah.
8: and you know I think the uh, I think the thing about um, the, the Howard chain book that really was most mind-boggling was when he was um, he did the one interview and he was like well you know nobody has read this book and they should read it, you know. Well, I did read it, actually, and I, I that's why I wanted to do my longer take, because I wanted to really take it all into account. But, but then he said, well, have you read any of the criticisms? And he's like, no, I never read any criticisms of my work. So, <laughs> um, you know, like, like what's, you know, it's a two-way street, people. Um, yeah, what's, a, what's a
5: cover?
3: A cover is there to sell yeah. your book. I I not say, but, have you read the book? No, your cover is there to sell it.
8: Yeah. But I mean, you know,
2: um, I'm not a comic book writer, but I've been criticized when I've ran editorials on my site that people didn't like, it didn't sit well with them. And I learned from that. Like, I guess I don't take criticism as something that's like an infringement upon my creativity, you know, yeah. as a writer. We, ex- <laughs> we exist on the
3: internet, we can't. There's so much out there. Right.
2: We, yeah. So you've gotta grow. Like that's a whole part of this journey is to learn something new, get different perspectives, and kind of soak up that new information and and grow and evolve from that. So I don't know. Call me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
8: Any any questions out there? So for our fine panel. I don't know, what, what is that, everybody's coming in, looks like it's some sort of, uh, uh, there's a storm know, you guys go for some kind of Nintendo
4: panel? Just guessing, I
2: don't know. Switching
6: us around So, you guys were on the topic of criticism,
3: belt. how much is too much reading your criticism as far as it goes, because with the internet, everybody has a voice, social media, everybody has a voice as far as what they want to say,
6: as far as where you obsess over reading, Back and I, take a that. I think that critics in general tend to be like writers or artists of any other kind. You know, there are a lot of critics out there, but when you read someone from a certain outlet or across multiple outlets over time, you start to realize oh, this person is the second that I engage with, oh, this person has like, criticisms, comments, likes, and dislikes that I agree with or disagree with. And then you sort of take it through that context lens. Like, I don't think it makes sense at least in the current climate, to look at specific outlets and take their comments as like, oh, this is the beats thing. Like uh, or like oh this is like a Hollywood water state. It's more like this is this person at Hollywood Reporter or the Beats
8: take and you know, in um, yeah, I mean, on the beat, we have, like, two, two, two people who, well, actually, you write, Chris, but you I mean, you do specifically DC. Like, everybody has, like, kind of beats that they cover on the beat, uh, but, uh, you know, like, you cover DC, we have a writer who covers Marvel, um, and then we have a writer named John Seven, uh, which he legally changed his name to Seven, and he reviews a lot of different kinds of material, he reviews a lot of graphic novels, some of these stuff, and, uh, and then we have a guy who also reviews, like, really small press stuff. So, you know, and they all know their, their, you know, areas, you know, that's what they're passionate about, and so after a while you, you know, you get to know their taste. I do think in general there's a real dearth of, like, like, there's not very many writers about comics. They'll be like, oh, here's, you know, the, my Wednesday haul, and I'm like, oh, I gotta see what this, this person thinks of, you know, this week's comics. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I read a lot about comics, and a lot of comics. So that could also be part of mine, but uh, you know, I mean, there's good critics and there's bad critics. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, uh, and, and I think it's just, you have to keep, you know, I mean, you sometimes tell very quickly if it's good or bad, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not a big on, on the gushers, you know? I do like to meet people who have more insight, you know, than just, it was nine out
5: of 10.
0: I find the
3: longer I do this, Gushing seems not useful to do. Because you can just say, I love this, and then.
5: People
8: don't. Oh, that's
3: not true, unless it's something no one's talking about.
8: You know, people don't take it very seriously when you say, I love this. You mm. know? Mm. It's really much harder. In, and, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, studies show this. Like, people are much more compelled by negative emotions. It's very unfortunate for the human race in general. But it's like, that's why, I'll, you know, when people are like, i hate you know this horrible cover came out and then just like you know within 10 minutes the entire internet is inflamed or i mean i wish that would happen with like this is you know kind of maybe did with wonder woman you know that kind of caught fire a little bit like oh i love this i'm crying you know but it's really hard to get to get a groundswell for things that are you know positive unless it's like you know, Wonder Woman, who we've been waiting 60 years for, I guess. Yeah, and Black Panther. I mean, oh, well, like crazy. The well, that of Black Panther that actually
2: so true. amazing. That, that yeah. is true. Everything goes viral when you talk about Black Panther on the internet, so folks are ready for it.
3: But if, if there's something I really like, I find it's more useful to do an interview or do something else to draw attention to the piece rather than do a review that just says, I think this is good.
8: Yeah, I, I kind of agree, but I mean, I want to have, like, um, you know, to me, it's more... I think there's so many criticisms about comics, criticism that are just, like, here's the plot, and, you know, I really like Robin, or something like that. But, um, you know, it's like, to, to really... Dig into what the artist is trying to say and what the what the context for it is. I don't know. I'm big on context. That's really, I think, one of the things that the theme I'm always stressing, right? It's context. Yeah. It's context. So I, just, I mean, you know, I, I think it's
6: important. Like, if you legitimately like something, I don't. I don't see the reason why you shouldn't yeah. give it like a positive review or anything, you know? Because. There's no such thing as a perfect work of art. You know, I've seen Baby Driver three times. I will love that movie to death, but like I can see the problems with it. I know exactly why I don't like it. So you know, if you can like write that kind of review, if mm-hmm. you can say, hey, I love this thing, this is why I love it, but this is what's wrong with it as well, you know, why not? Yeah. But you can see it
8: anyway, right? Um <clears throat> any
6: questions out there? I mean yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that approach, a
8: story that everybody's writing about. How do you find new angles to approach a story that everybody's writing
5: about?
3: What interests me? What are the questions that I haven't had answered yet? Because there's always something. There's always going to be, if something, if everyone is talking about something, you read everyone else's take, and you're like, yeah, but what about, and there's always something, and that you're in.
8: I think also, if you just look on this panel, all four of us I have a very strong personalities. <laughs> I mean, not we're not going to write the same thing, you know? I mean, I think it's it's more as you... I mean, I guess I'm a little like Graham, where I'm like always curious about why something happened that way. So, you know, I, I always have... I don't, I don't know, I, I like to answer the questions that I have in my mind, and I find that people respond to that. So. But it's more instinctive, I have to be honest, just from doing it for so long. You know? I mean, I didn't prep anything for the channel, you know, because I've done it so many times. Yeah. And I knew that that the the people on it this time would would dictate, you know, where the conversation went. So mm-hmm. I didn't need to. It would just flow naturally. And then there would be questions if we needed a new, yeah, five minutes. Or so um, so a right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. How about I you know, Jamie? How do you find fresh angles? Um, I mean, I, I, I think you are a fresh angle. I yeah. gotta be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, that's. <laughs> All we do is talk about
2: stuff that no one else is talking about because we're talking about marginalized groups, you know? So um, it's pretty easy for me to do in the space that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah.
8: (laughs) How does it feel to be that kind of groundbreaker, though?
2: I mean, it's a little overwhelming um, just how many people have responded to the site. I, I remember when I was sort of toiling over using the term Black Girl Nerds as the name of the site that people would think that it's, you know exclusive and oh well you know I don't feel like this site will speak to me or you know you guys are trying to separate yourselves from everybody else and you know nerd culture or whatever Um, but people have responded well and a lot of the fans and followers of black girl nerds are not all women and and not all black so um, now that's refreshing that we're able to speak on these perspectives and, and have this platform and people get it yeah
8: you know, I've I, I got to ask you this question because I mean, I certainly struggled in my, you know, when I started out, I didn't to Comic Con. I mean, there was really only 20 women at the show, you know, so it was very, it was both good and bad. Got a lot of attention for the better and for the worse. But I knew I wasn't alone, you know? Yeah. I mean, I knew. And I, I, I you know, when I you first when I first started reading your site, like, look, you your Twitter, I mean, you have so many followers. And it's just like, 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 how did this existence of women of color who like nerdy things, how did people not know? For, I mean, were, were they always there, or did does it always just...
2: Always been there. It's just, and I think that's why the site had this huge following so fast. because finally, this is the space that I've been looking for all my life, um... Because we've always been there, we've always been in the comic book stores, we've always been, you know, at the video arcades and being gamers and cosplaying at all of our favorite cons. Um, There just ever hasn't been a space that says directly, this is safe for you. You can express yourself here. You've got a community of people um, that are cut from the same cloth as you that's here. And join us and have fun and let's geek out over everything.
8: It's amazing. Oh, all right. So we just have a couple minutes left, actually. Now. I mean, is there anyone out there who actually wants to write about comics? Look at that. Two people. Two brave souls. Two brave. Many boffins gave their lives. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh,
8: well, um, you know, uh, yeah, all right. Yes. Yeah. Question:
6: if You guys probably absorb and ungodly amount of content constantly. Do you have methods
3: to... I guess prioritize that stuff, or ways that you look to sort of, uh, I guess, uh, noteworthy sources and things like that, and choose where you want to change what you want to do. This is impossible to absorb everything the way things are today. I rely on a lot of smart people. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who, who will let me know, like, this, this is really important. Like, you have no idea about this, but you should be reading this. And also, just just what I'm responding to personally.
6: I think that's that's the thing, when you first start out and you have a perspective of writing, you know what you like, and you start reading. and you read all this stuff. And you want to talk about it, so you start talking about it, and then you make friends who like the same stuff, and they tell you, hey, look at this over here, you've never seen this before, but you should read it because you love it. And then you sort of go from there.
5: Um,
2: Uh, Just having a team of contributors that help that are... Experts in each different area. Like I, I don't watch Doctor Who. I'm not a hoovian. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm that It's over. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we've got our resident hoovian. We've got our resident gamer. You know, all of those folks that are like subject matter experts in, in all of those different fields. Because you're right. Like it's impossible to consume at all. It's just so much going on.
3: I mean, I've got to be cynical. I also look at stuff that I know is going to get readership. So, you know, I am, yeah. I personally am not enjoying Marvel's outfit right now, but I'm going to look at it and read it because other people do and other people want to read about it. So that's something I should be up on.
8: Yeah. I mean, I, I also like, I, I use TweetDeck, uh, which is a Twitter, pl- uh, app and you can have different columns for different things. That is the one, you on
3: know. Twitter it tells you everything.
8: It does. And, but you have to curate it. You know, you have to make your little list of who exactly covers. Like, I have one list for the New York Mets, and I look at that. And then I have a big <laughs> Mets fan. Then I have another one that's, you know, really like comics creators. And I have one that's like comics journalists. And, you know, one for politics. So, and then between those four, I never get any work done. I just read the book. Right. So, um, but that, I, I mean, that's more of a problem for me, is because, you know, in this kind of quest to be immediate and of the moment, you're like, oh, i got to read all these these tweets, and then you just go down the tweet hole. You know, you're like, oh, Trump did what? And, and wait a minute, Marvel's, and then you're, you're done with that, and you're like, okay, now I'm go well when you know what, let me just see what, what happened at Marvel today. I'm like, oh, boy. And then, you know, after that, you have recovered. And then it's like, oh, no, the match traded Debra, no. But, you know, so then the, the day has gone and none, no work has been done. So, you know, uh, I, I, you have to have some self-discipline. I think all of us have to have some self-discipline to do this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you, when you like this stuff,
6: you find weird ways to cram it into your day. Like, um, I live in New York and I walk to and from work, which is about an hour each way. So I listen to podcasts on the way to and from. And then I listen to music when I'm in the office, and then I'm reading books when I'm, like, at lunch or at home or whatever. Yeah.
8: I, I, I just watched The Mets. That's my election. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it looks like our our next panel is whatever the mysterious subject matter is. And, um, so we will draw to a close for another year, the Comics Journalism Panel. Um, but. Um, Plugs for people. Uh, wait, can you mention your convention really fast.
2: Oh, so um, if you're in Baltimore or around the Baltimore area, I am the co-founder of a con called Universal FanCon. Um, it'll be in its first year. It's April 19th of next year, April 19th through the 22nd. And it's the first con that's really going to celebrate diversity and inclusion. Um, so we're really excited about it. Orlando Jones, who's here officiating weddings right now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a featured guest, and we've got um, so many more guests and still some more announcements to come, so definitely check it out. Great. Graham, what's next from
8: you?
3: I'm going to be here for the next few days, getting ever more tired. That's uh, i you can to yeah. myself this weekend on
6: the Heat Vision blog in Hollywood, Reporter. Yeah,
8: it's good stuff there. Of
6: course, I'll be at the beat once in a while, so after this, i got to go right. Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be hanging around the town too. I'm interviewing to much have to hear your way there you go. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I
8: was just throwing something online, right? Yeah. And I'm Comics AC, X A C. I'm Graham
6: M. Yep, which is spelled weird, G R A
3: E M E M, on Twitter.
2: Yep, at Black Girl Nerds on Twitter or my personal at Jimmy
8: Broadnats. So. Well, anyway, guys, uh, Graham, Jimmy, Alex, thank you so much. And thank you for coming and happy coming. Thank you. <laughs>
2: The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Broadnax, Mr. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music,
5: Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum podcast.